Hello and welcome to Northeast Christian Church online service. We are so happy to have you with us. Please be sure to follow NECC on all social media platforms. And to listen to all our past messages, follow us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and YouTube. Thank you and enjoy the rest of the service. to enter into a time of worship, so will you bow your heads with me and say a quick prayer. Lord God, we welcome you into this place. We invite you into this place. We ask that you touch our hearts through the music. Bless our worship team. Bless the people, Lord God. Bless this service, that this would all flow, Lord God. In your name we pray. Shout it! 
Till it fills up every space coming. 
we remember the words of your son when he said, what would it profit a person to gain the whole world and yet forfeit their soul? Lord, thank you that our deepest satisfaction, whatever else we don't possess in this life, thank you that we possess eternal life. God, I pray that you would bring that joy to the surface, to reality for each person that's here today, that whatever else is missing, whatever else they don't have, whatever else feels lacking, that they possess everything in Christ because the Son of God has laid hold of them. Lord, I pray that you would give them deep joy, resolve, and peace in this new year because of the surpassing power and grace of Jesus Christ in their life. I pray that the Holy Spirit would open their eyes, soften their hearts, and open their minds. In the name of Christ Jesus, we pray. Amen. Amen. Before you're seated this morning, why don't you start this new year off? Say hello to someone next to you. Introduce yourself. See, we're a chatty bunch this morning. You've been locked up in your house for the holidays too long, haven't you? Well, welcome back, everybody. If you weren't here last week, Happy New Year. Glad to have you back. If you don't know me, I'm Pastor Dylan. I'm one of the pastors on staff here. And I'm glad that you've chosen us to worship with today. And we pray that you enjoy the service, that you find a home here. We believe a church home is a place that you find to worship every week, that you find to be a second home away from home for you. And we hope that we can be that place for you if this is maybe your first time in a long time. Uh, you can, we encourage you to do something, but before I go there, uh, on the back of your seat backs, you'll find a little QR code. You can scan that to introduce yourself to me. I'll be at the welcome desk after service. I'd love to introduce myself to you, get to know you a little bit, and if you either do one of the handwritten ones or the online ones, I'll give you a coffee mug today to say thanks for being with us. Filled with disgusting amounts of candy, we're all about giving diabetes in this church. We hope you enjoy it. This is Ben Ortiz. Ben is one of my good friends. Yeah, give it up for Ben. Glad to have him today. Um, ben is training right now to be an architect. He's just out of college. He's apprenticing, and he is building hospitals. And uh, what I love about Ben's work is that it reminds me is that there's no such thing as sacred and secular work. God ordains all of our work. And so, Ben, thank you for being here today and leading us in communion. And this is PK, old friend of Pastor Paul, new friend of mine. And uh, PK, I would love it if you could lead us in prayer for the bread this morning and remind us of the body that was broken for us. Let's pray. My Father and our God, Lord, there is none like you. Lord, there is none other higher, none other who has done so much to bridge the gap. Father, that existed, Lord, through the fall of man, Lord, that you have just given so much. And Lord, we, we take this in remembrance, Lord, of the sacrifice that you made, that we might be able to approach you, that we might be able to have a relationship with you. Lord, for we are lost without you. We thank you, Lord, for your body that was broken, that we might have life. Thank you, Father God. Bless this, Lord. And we do this in remembrance for all that you've done. In Jesus' name. And let's take the body together. I'm going to have Ben lead us in a prayer for the blood of Christ. 
Dear Lord, thank you for um, the blood that you shed on the cross for us. Thank you that through your blood, we are no longer unclean sinners, but clean saints. Um, dear, uh, thank you, Lord, that through your blood, um, you paid the debt for our sin, and we are now free from eternal condemnation. Um, thank you, Lord, that it was blood that you used for the angel of death to pass over the Israelites um, when you sent them the angel of death after uh, the Egyptians. But now you use the blood to pass over, uh, you know, hell and the evil powers, the dark powers of hell uh, against us. Um, I thank you and praise you and drink this cup in remembrance of you. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen, let's take the cup together. Father, we say one last prayer of thanksgiving to you. Thank you that our debts are canceled because of the blood of the cross. Thank you that we stand secure because of the work of Jesus and not our works. And it's in his name that we pray. Amen. I keep flipping that switch off. I just want to give these to Mary Evelyn for like making everything bloom here, huh? Here you go. Sienna, Sienna, Sienna's not here. We got those for you for your baby, and I know you're not watching, but, uh, but we want to give that to you. It just makes sense. If, if you were here on Saturday or you've ever been here, she just causes the presence of God to blossom, right? Isn't, that's, that's the metaphor that just definitely... That doesn't mean those are second-rate flowers because Sienna was here, by the way. Realize, listen, those... <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. We are taking this month to talk about spiritual disciplines. And usually when you do that, you just feel about how... In <laughs> this is great. We're going to talk for a month about every area I'm failing in. And uh, that's, that's not what we want to do. We want to talk about discipline because it takes time. You got to become determined. You got to work at it. There is not a single one of the disciplines we talked about, including prayer, where any pastor would get up here and say, we do this better than you, or we're better because we do this. It's, this is not what it's about. We want to make you the best version of you that God intended to be. And so this is why we talk about these things. And so next week, I'm gonna be sharing on the word of God and just sharing some things that maybe you haven't really heard. And uh, it's gonna be a blessing for your life. I, I encourage you to be here. Encourage those of you watching online to join us. It's gonna be a good time. And uh, I wanna talk with you today about a spiritual discipline that we just don't think about in terms of its spiritual discipline, but it is. Jesus marked it as one. In Matthew 6, 12, forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. It's part of the Lord's Prayer. It is a choice, a discipline to forgive. And it is hard. It is hard. 
And so Lord, I just pray that you would bless your word in my words, and things could be said better and more eloquently by others, but you've put me here today to share what I'm gonna share. And so Father, I just pray the power of your word would do its work, in Jesus' name, amen. Uh, if you look at most translations, you probably see the word debtor and you're kind of like, I don't, I don't get this. Like, it, it, it's forgive us our trespasses. When I say forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us, how many of you, like, you instantly run to that version when you talk it out loud? Raise your hand and wave it, all right? It's probably because of our Catholic background. This is an interesting story. It's useless information and trivia, but I'm going to give it to you anyway. Uh, William Tyndale, back in the 1500s, was a, a man of England, and he wanted to, there was no version of the Bible in English. And so he made a choice to have the Bible, like Martin Luther translated the Bible from Latin and into German. He was going to make a choice to translate the Bible from Greek and Hebrew, the original language, into the English, into the modern day English. And the church was vehemently opposed. Listen, I'll tell you what, it, there are all kinds of fights to be found in the body of Christ through history. To, and I, I'll never forget this. Tommy Barnett, he's a great, great pastor of the United States of America. He's, he's older now, but he said this. He said, it is not the method that is sacred. It's the message. It's not the method that's sacred. It's the message. But the, the, the Catholic Church at that time was very much about keeping the Bible in Latin and keeping the priests in the place of, of the distributor of God's truth. And the Reformation had just begun, which said that, listen, we all can have access to God and we should have access to God. The reason why we're in our church today and the reason we have all kinds of more versions of the Bible than we know what to do with is because of men like, like William Tyndale and Martin Luther who said, we, we ne people need to be able to have access to God's word. And when he was doing it at that time, he made a choice to take the word that was there and to turn it into the word trespass, but it's, it's it's, it's changed through the years. In other words, you, you know, trespass for us, it's like you go into somebody's land, no trespassing, we kind of get that. But, but the Bible in the original language, he didn't do, this is the one spot where he didn't do a good job. Now here's the thing about Tyndale, is that they were so against what he was doing, they put a hit out on him, and he was arrested, and he was put on a stake where he was choked to death. And then after he had passed, they consumed his body with flames. And as they were strangling him, you've probably heard the story in the sense of that he was burnt alive, but they, they strangled him first and then burnt him. As he was being strangled, one of his workers with him was also facing the death sentence. And they said to him, they said, if God's grace is sufficient enough, just raise one finger up. And as they were taking his life and his friend was watching him for the signal, William Tyndale held up two fingers. God's grace is more than enough. None of us probably face a situation where our life will be what's at stake for the gospel. Um, but, but this man chose to use the word, forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And it's in all the Catholic doxology and prayers if you go to, to Mass. And uh, 
I remember in years ago, there was a, a kid and they were trying to get him to learn how to say the Lord's Prayer. And when they came to that, they kind of forgot and they said, forgive us our, instead of saying, forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us, they said, forgive us our trash passes as we forgive those who pass trash against us. But when it comes to like sin, it's like passing trash, right? And we're not just talking like McDonald's bags, which if you throw your garbage out your window, I wanna punch you in the name of Jesus. But like, it, it, because we clean it up in our neighborhood every week, we walk through, we make our neighborhood nicer, but somebody keeps throwing garbage in it. If you're here today, this altar is available for you to get right with God. But like, it's the gross stuff from the bottom of the dumpster. It's just nasty. But it's not the right word. The right word is the word debt. In fact, the Greek word that's used there is literally about owing somebody a financial debt. And so when you pray the Lord's Prayer, we partook, and you, we partook of communion, we were acknowledging before God we have a debt I could, I could, I, that I couldn't pay. He paid a debt that he didn't owe. It is so important for you and I to keep ever before our eyes the idea that we need forgiveness. Not just once when we come to Jesus, but on an ongoing basis, because if you, if you don't keep your eye on the idea that you are a sinner and he's a savior, you become less focused on the area that you need to change in you and become more focused upon the area that's wrong in everybody else around you. And a good indicator of that in your life is if you're looking out at everybody else and you're, you're saying what's wrong with them, but you're not reflective enough for what's wrong with you. You can click the next, thank you. So in the Lord's Prayer, he prays this, and, and in fact, when it comes to forgiveness, there's three quotes here I just want to read that, that just really jumped out at me. Anger makes you smaller, while forgiveness forces you to grow beyond what you are. The first to apologize is the bravest, the first to forgive the strongest, and the first to move on the happiest. You ever hear that? I forgive, but I'll never forget. Can, I, I just want to address that real quick. Do you think you really could forget a deep wound that somebody did to you? Of course not. That's not even a rational statement. I'll forgive you, but I won't forget. No, what you're saying is, is you don't forgive. You're just saying it differently. God doesn't, do you think that Jesus has forgotten about the cross? Of course not. Forgiveness isn't forgetting. Forgiveness is choosing. And this is a spiritual discipline that Jesus not only commanded us to do, but exampled for us on how to do it. Sometimes you won't get an apology or an explanation, but it's okay because you're strong enough to move on without it. Have you ever had somebody come up to you to apologize to you when they were actually not apologizing to you? What they were doing was they were trying to provoke the, you to apologize for them, right? Hey, I just, I just, this happens in Bible college all the time in Teen Challenge, too. It's like this, like, hey, brother, you know, you can use spiritual language. Listen, brother, I, sister, uh, I just want to, I want to say uh, I, I'm sorry for, 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 for the way I behaved yesterday. 
And then you, you kind of like acknowledge that. Yep. Okay. All right. All right. Is there something you want to say to me? We don't say it with our lips, but we, we say it with our, our countenance. I couldn't find a word to rhyme with it, but <laughs> we say it like we're, we're, you're provoking actually that person to get right with you, but you're pretending that you're getting right with them. That's not forgiveness either. That's you seeking justice. Justice and forgiveness is spread throughout Scripture. Listen to this, Micah 6, 8. He has shown you, O man, what is good and what does the Lord require of you. I love this. Micah says, I'm going to say, this is one of the few verses in the Old Testament that sums up the entire walk of faith, of Christianity, of what God expects. He says this, he says, you, this is what the Lord requires of you, to act justly, to love mercy, and to walk humbly with your God. Love mercy, do justly, walk humbly. You're kind of like saying, I didn't got this whole thing of Christianity down. You don't need to. You just got a three-point truth that says, am I doing what's just and right? Am I being humble? Am I showing mercy? Those are good indications of if you're doing what's right and what's just. Colossians chapter 3, verse 13 says this, as the Lord has forgiven you, so you also must forgive others. It's, it's easy to say, but it's so hard to do. And the thing that I love about Jesus and his leadership is that when he was on the cross, and he was, which is, by the way, probably one of the most excruciating ways that you die. You don't die from uh, the nails. You die from dehydration, compression, suffering. Uh, you bleed out over a long period of time. The Romans perfected this as the ultimate form of torture. And while Jesus is hanging there, he, he takes his breath and he says, and I literally, he had to push down on the nail on his feet and on his wrists to lift up to take a breath because when you're hanging, you can't breathe. And he would push up and instead of just holding on to his breath, he kept making statements. And he goes, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. In other words, what Jesus was saying is this. He's saying, Lord, if they knew who I was, if they knew what I was about, if they were able to really see my heart and my intentions, they would never do this if they really knew. But in their ignorance, Please forgive them. I'll never forget, it was, it was one of the years that I was working with Brooklyn Teen Challenge, and one of the original founders, his name was Mike Zello Sr., we, he had taken us out for steak. I'd never had anybody do that for me before. And uh, most of the time it's like hamburger helper, um, which is great stuff, but he, he took us out for steak, and he's sitting there, and, and there's a group of us from the center, and he's saying, I brought you here, I want to tell you something, because I want you to make it in your faith and in ministry. He says, people are going to hurt you. People are going to want to hurt you. Some of it's going to be accidental, but a lot of it's going to be on purpose. And you will have a choice in that moment to choose what you do with that hurt. 
what I want to encourage you to do is to take the words of Jesus as how you respond. Father, forgive them. They know not what they do. Because if they knew who I was, if they knew what I was about, if they understood why I was here, they would never do this. But because they don't, forgive them. Forgive them, Lord. There's so many times in my life that I've returned back to that moment. And I'm so grateful for mature people in Christ. Those of you that are here and you're older and you've been in Jesus a long time and you're older and you can't hit the street like you used to. You can't run ministry like you used to. My goodness, you are an incredible deep well of wisdom to be able to go up to the couples that are struggling and say, I struggled with my marriage too. Let me tell you what I did. To go up to the person that's hurting and is bitter and say, I've been angry and bitter too, but I learned how to get my life sweet. I had struggles in this area with forgiveness, but I learned you have a ministry. We need you. We need you. Those of you that are younger, wouldn't you agree with that? I mean, we just, it, we don't know what we're doing. And so many times you have so much wisdom to offer, but Jesus gives that statement and he says, Father, forgive them, they know not what they do. And in the Lord's Prayer, he tells us for, to, this was a daily prayer for people and it was a, a, a quick outline of what's important in life and there the discipline of forgiveness is thrown right in our face and forced to be put to your lips forgive us our sins as we forgive us our debt as we forgive our debtors forgive our sins as we forgive those who sin against us in other words lord i'm going to put a clause here forgive me i need your forgiveness however make it only proportionate in that I'm forgiving other people. Whew. Some of you is hating Jesus right now. <laughs> Lord, forgive me on the condition that I'm forgiving others. I want you to take a look at Matthew chapter 18. I want to read a parable to you from Jesus. I just believe this message is so serious right now. I'm not feeling dynamic. I'm not feeling anything, but I feel this is such an important message for you to hear. I believe this morning God ordained for your heart, not just your head, to hear what I'm about to share with you. And for some of you, this is going to keep you from being trapped in your life, and for others of you today, God is going to set you free from a prison that you did not even know that you were in. For those of you that are younger and young people, God is going to keep you from ruining relationships in your life with this, because Spirit, the spiritual disciplines are not just pray, read the Bible, be generous, share, share Jesus and all that. It's forgiveness. It's forgiveness. It's a spiritual discipline. It is not a feeling. It is a choice. It is a determination. It is done not because of certain circumstances. It is done in spite of circumstances. Matthew 18, 21 to 35. I'm going to read this in the ESV, but um, if you're a Bible person and you got your Bible with you and you want to, or you're watching online and you want to look, or you have your phone and you want to do it, Matthew 18, 21 to 35. Peter came up and said to him, Lord, how often 
uh, will my brother sin against me and I forgive him? As many times as seven? Now there's an Old Testament verse in um, like chapter four or five of Genesis where there's this guy Lamech. He comes up and he says, if the Lord said that if anybody touches Cain and that he'll punish them twice as harshly, well, if they touch, I've killed two people. If they come after me, it'll be seven times that it'll happen. And G, G, see, he was Jewish, so he knew this big statement that this guy made. He's like, I'm a killer. I didn't just kill one person like, like Cain did. I killed two. So if it's seven times harsher for him, if it's two twice as harsh for him, it's going to be seven times as harsh for me. And we all seen kind of people like this. They don't, it's not just in a prison context, but in, in, a, in, in the workplace. In, in the life place. We've got people who think that they're bad because of how bad they are and what, how bad, they, how tough they are. And he throws out that stupid statement and Peter comes up to him. How many of you ever time, you wear your Christianity like a special badge, like it makes you a special person? And you just are like, hey, that's what Peter was doing. He's like, now Lord. <laughs> He's got his halo out. If, how many times should I forgive somebody? Seven times? And Jesus just throws it back in his face and he says, nah, 70 times seven. I mean, that's a lot of forgiveness. But he also throws it back in my face, in your face. Some of us, we are forgiving, but we are not long-suffering. And we have a cap. Now, don't get me wrong, there's wisdom. For instance, let me just give you a very practical statement if you are in a relationship and you you have a husband who's physically abusing you that is not something to be forgiven that is something that your pastor and his friends from rhode island who are italian would love to take care of that problem for you <laughs> if you're in an abusive relationship if you're in a deviant relationship if you're in a trapped relationship that's something you get out, but I'm talking about like getting angry at somebody where they squeeze the toothpaste, how poorly they communicate, how defensive they are, and the basic stuff in life, but I'm just, I'm, I just put that out there to say, I'm, I'm your pastor here for a reason, and um, I'm not calling people for Rhode Island to take care of this situation, I'm just saying like, in joking, I say that in jest, but in all seriousness, if you are in a relationship that you need to get out of because it is neither safe for you, or the ones that you care for, you need to make that known. That is what the body of Christ is about, to help one another in situations. But most of us, we bear grudges. And so he comes along and he says, how many times shall I forgive somebody? Seven times? No, 70 times seven. Therefore, Jesus throws down a parable. Parables are really great because they usually have one point. There's not a whole bunch of points to them, and listen to it. Let's see if you can get the point. Therefore, the kingdom of heaven may be compared to a king who wished to settle accounts with his servants. When he began to settle, one who brought to him, who, uh, they brought one to him who owed 10,000 talents. That's like $600 million, something ridiculous. And since he could not pay, his master ordered him to be sold, and his wife, children, and all that he had, and payment be made. So the servant fell on his knees, imploring him, have patience with me and I will pay you everything. And out of pity for him, the master said to the servant, release him and forgave him the debt. 
In other words, he cleared the debt. He didn't just say, I'll wait for you to pay me. He erased the debt completely. When his fellow servants saw, uh, so, excuse me, I just lost my place. So, he fell down, pleaded with him, said, have patience with me and I will pay you. He refused and uh, he, sorry, here it is. But when that same servant, the one who was forgiven the debt, went off, he found one of his fellow servants who owed him a hundred denarii and seized him. That's like one day's wage. And he began to choke him saying, pay me what you owe me. So his fellow servant fell down and pleaded with him, have patience with me, and I will pay you the same line that came out of his own lips. And it says he refused and went and put him in prison until he should pay the debt. By the way, guess what? You don't pay debts when you're in prison because you can't work. When his fellow servants saw this had taken place, they were greatly distressed and they went and reported to their master all that had taken place. Then the master summoned him and said to him, you wicked servant, I forgave you all the debt because you pleaded with me. Should you not have had mercy on your fellow servant as I had mercy on you? And in anger, his master delivered him to the jailers until he should pay all his debt. He gave him a life sentence. So also, here it is, so also, my heavenly Father will do to every one of you if you do not forgive your brother from the heart. Forgiveness. In fact, it's more important than altar calls and calls in prayer because Jesus said if you come to the altar to offer a sacrifice and you remember that someone has ought against you, leave your sacrifice at the altar, go and be reconciled, and then come back and make your offering. In fact, think about this. He's literally saying that forgiveness is more important than sacrifice, because the sacrifice will mean something if you, if you reconcile something. Otherwise, it's just a form and a formality. He's like, get it right. Get this thing taken care of. One of my mentors says this all the time, you can nurse a grudge, but it'll never heal. And there's so many Christians that I see walking around with open, ulcerated wounds because they've been nursing the hurt. Oh, it's so bad what they did to you. And we empower, we enable people. Yeah, that's it, they did that. They never should have done that, whatever. No. Jesus says, you need to forgive them from the heart. You need to move on with this. You need to move on with your life. You've got to let it go. And God's not asking you to, to do what he does as far as the east is from the west, so as he cast your sins, because the two never meet. But he's asking you not to forget, but to, to forgive, the same way that he did on the cross, where he said, Father, forgive them. They know not what they do. Every one of us can conquer forgiveness and you can defeat bitterness and unforgiveness, but in order to do that, we need to solve two problems in your life as a believer. They need to be very mindful. They're always at work with the process of 
forgiveness, but they're never as obvious to us as we might think. And I gotta give credit in this one to uh, Preston Morrison, who's associate pastor at Gateway Church in Texas. It's just a great, one of the great messages on unforgiveness I've ever heard. The two things that we need to look at is what's called the economy of justice, and the second one is what we call the Injustice Act. So the economy of justice is the same idea as the economy of finances, a set of principles that determines how I act when I feel that you've wronged me. Have you ever seen somebody and it's like every other day you've offended them? It's just like every day, like I need to talk to you. You know, or they're just upset about something all the time. I mean, we, we need to reason together and we all do things knowingly and unknowingly that we need to make wrongs right. But I'm talking about that person that's just constantly, continually, perpetually offended. So Pastor Dylan, come on up here real quick because I'd just rather do this with you than with anyone in the, the church right now. And, what's that? Foreboding. Can you define that word? I don't have it the source. Uh, anticipatory in a negative way. Uh, uh, sounds dangerous. You're right. All right. So let's say that Dylan says he doesn't like my sweater. I don't like your sweater. He said it. <laughs> I was just speaking hypothetically. So he doesn't hurt. His, so let's let's just take my cash so that the money goes back in the right direction, right? And. Uh, I say to you, Dylan, I can't believe you just said that my sweater, you don't like it. You offended me. That's gonna cost you $13. Give me that $13 right there. Thank you very much. All right. So then, the next thing he says is, he doesn't like my shoes. I don't like your shoes. <laughs> he actually has nicer boots than me, by the way. I can't believe you said you don't like my shoes. That's gonna cost you $15. Thank you very much. What do you got left there? 20. All right, we gotta make this really offensive. <laughs> What's that? <laughs> he doesn't like my beard. Okay. Go ahead, say it. I dare you. I don't like your goatee. <laughs> Not a full beard. It's going to cost you $20. Notice I had the money coming back to me every step of the way, smart pastor. Now, he says to me, let's say you don't like the way I preach. That's, no, that's too rough. <laughs> What's that? He's fearing for his life. He's fearing for his life, Tessie. Um, He doesn't, you don't like my cooking? I don't. It's pretty bad. It is pretty bad, actually. <laughs> You'll die on my diet. So now all of a sudden, he doesn't have any money to pay. So what do I do? Jail. Tessie, go easy. You take my watch? I take his watch. <laughs> Your boots, I'm definitely taking those. <laughs> I mean, I could shake him down and continue to be offended by him and continue whenever he does things, whether intentionally or not, you're smart for leaving. <laughs> We're going for the jeans next. 
So like, I could sit there all day and kind of like, I, I have this economy in my, and here's the unfair part of this. I set the price. I set the price. God doesn't set the price, I set the price. And I get to say to him, you need to pay me because you, you offended me and that hurt me. And, it, and maybe you've got somebody who's nice enough to kind of cater and pander to that, but then sooner or later what happens is, is that the price, no, they, they run out of resource. And there's this economy of forgiveness that God never intended because he says, forgive as the Lord forgave you. And when you get on this train and you get in this ride and you begin to try to work out forgiveness as some kind of economy system that somebody has to make amends with you every time or it's conditional upon that kind of stuff, you're going to find yourself sooner or later at this place where that person's not going to be able to pay and you are going to become embittered and unforgiving and and unrelentless, and you are going to slander them, and you are going to hurt them, and you are never going to allow them out of the penalty box. You'll be no better than that guy that's choking his neighbor for a few for one day's wage, and you will get thrown, you will throw that person in prison for the rest of their life. That is why forgiveness is in some ways more important than prayer because if you are not right vertically you, with other people, you are not going to get right horizontal, uh, ver vertically, horizontal. You, you know what I'm talking about. You just, you, it, listen, your Christianity is only good this way as it is this way. And I don't care how much you've lied to yourself to tell yourself otherwise. It's only as good this way as it is this way. That's why forgiveness is a spiritual discipline. It is a regular part of our life. You didn't really think that the food at Disney cost $100 for a soda. You don't think that milk duds really are worth $10 at AMC movie theater. You see, you set this justice. You say, you have to pay the way that I choose, and I choose to increase this price. And you say, I forgive you, but I'll never forget. I'll just let you appease me. And then you step into the second phase of this that, that Preston Morrison talks about, which is called the injustice gap. Not only do you charge outrageous prices, but now you begin to make it impossible for certain people to ever receive the conditions of your forgiveness, that there's this gap between you and other people and the people that you offend and that have offended you that no, nobody could cross that. There's no hope. Buy a brand new car and drive it off the lot. Pull off of... Let's get, let's get like a Ford Mustang. Let's get something really, really muscle car. You pull off the, the lot of a Ford dealership with a brand new Ford Mustang. You pay the immediate asking price that they give. Now drive to another state, pull in with that same Ford Mustang and just say, hey, I just bought this, but I realize I can't afford it. I need to sell it back to you. How much is it, is, is it worth? You'll find that the moment that you drive that car off of the lot, you lose $20,000 like that just for pulling off the lot. That's not fair. You see, 
it depreciates in value by just simply, this is why, listen to me, this is your pastor giving you wise advice. Never buy a new car. Trust me, in heaven, if you don't get it on this side of earth, in heaven, you'll come up to me and be like, hey, pastor, thanks for that advice, <laughs> for taking it. It was really good. Because it depreciates. And what happens with the injustice gap here and forgiveness and unforgiveness is the gap widens when you move forward in life and I continue to treat you as though you have an outstanding debt with me. All of a sudden, I, you've paid, like Pastor Dylan, you've paid off the price, but, but I'm still hurt about it. I'm still, remember, I'm still offended by it and now I continue to treat you like you have something to get right with me and it's not that things haven't been made right, it's that you've increased the price and you've decreased the payment that I made. It's not as valuable anymore. Am I the only one in this room who's ever gotten upset with somebody and they said sorry and you forgave them and then all of a sudden you're like, eh, I don't really. I become bitter as you move on with your life because I intended to keep you a prisoner and let me just say this to those of you that are married or dating. This is pure manipulation in a marriage and has no place, no place in a marriage. It will destroy you and your spouse. I'm so grateful that I have a wife who doesn't like being pointed out for anything. So I'm going to move on. She's, she's an incredibly forgiving person, gracious person. She's not petty. It's just, there's so much pettiness in the kingdom of God. It's like, and Jesus must be sitting up there like, do they, do they read what I'm, do they listen to what I'm saying? Did they see what I did? But we're human beings. Now you want to talk about justice, right? You want to talk about forgiveness. Um, I just did one of those disco moves. I don't have my next slide. There it is. I just removed that Bible verse. <laughs> there was an Indian scholar that was speaking in a public place, and I don't think he's a Christian. It, Pandit Kahar Singh, do you know him? He's not a Christian, right? He's a Sikh. Yeah, he's a Sikh, but he, here he is. He made some of the most profound statements on forgiveness and bitterness you'll ever hear. Here it is. As he was out there, uh, th this man asked him while he was speaking out in the open forum in India, how can you reconcile the death of Jesus Christ for men with the death of, of the guilty, uh, guiltless for the guilty? In other words, how can you reconcile Jesus who is not guilty dying for mankind who is guilty. That just makes no sense with the justice of God. He replied, our ideas of justice, the justice of God, or the justice system at all are very crude and imperfect. For example, a man steals $20 and spends it. He's caught up, he's caught and he's punished as a thief, but the stolen money is never restored to the man who it was stolen from. Justice is not done to him, and the thief suffers for his crime, this is man's justice, loss and pain. 
Why is it that we feel that if we hurt, shame, or embarrass somebody, that needs to happen in order for them to find forgiveness or to be a better person? Why do we do that? He goes on and he says this, suppose a man was to kill three children. He should be hanged three times that strict justice may be done. The children are not restored to life. The justice is not done to them. Neither are they restored to their parents or to the community. The man who killed them is put to death and thus the man's justice again is resolved into loss and pain. But God's justice is different. Catch this. It results in gain and joy. Lost souls are found. Losses are made good. Happiness takes place, the place of misery, all because the Son of God gave himself a willing sacrifice to save men and restore them to God. In other words, somebody wrongs you, they go to prison, they suffer, they pain for it, but you don't restore those children. You don't restore that money. Like, how do you get somebody who's thrown into jail for stealing millions of dollars? Like, he comes out and he pays that back. That's not justice, but God's justice for Jesus dying for you and me is, is what forgiveness and justice is all about because instead of it meaning that people suffer and people lose permanently, he chose that he would save the whole thing in one swoop with his son on the cross, that the guilty would be, made, would be pardoned, that those that lost and suffered would be, forg- that, that they would receive from God restitution and restoration, that wrongs would be made right. And here's the thing about us in this life. We look for things to be made right in this life. I've come to the conclusion there are some wrongs that have been done to me and have been done to people that I love, that w- that, and there are some people that will not make it right, that actually intended to do that wrong, that wanted to do that wrong, but it's my spiritual discipline. It is my Lord who set the example for me to say, Father, I forgive them, not because of a set of circumstances, not because of, ju- of justice being delayed, not because I feel like it, not because you tell me to do it, but because I'm following your example. I choose to forgive that person whether they want forgiveness or not. That's forgiveness. That's the spiritual discipline. You have to look at and listen. It doesn't mean what they did was right. It doesn't mean that justice was done. The Bible says that God has set aside a day that he will judge the the world in righteousness. What we do over millennia, God sets straight in a day. You don't think justice will be done? You don't think that, that God won't work on the day of judgment, true judgment? That terrifies me because he put the spiritual discipline in the very prayer that he taught us to pray. Lord, forgive us our debts in accordance to, as I, in measurement, in proportion to how I forgive others. Help me forgive. Listen, if you're mad about people receiving forgiveness that don't deserve it, I have some bad news for you about Jesus. This is the most critical thing in your life because what's amazing is is that you can deceive yourself to think that you're on the highway to heaven and you're actually in the marsh on the side of it. 
putrid, festering, foul. And I get sometimes we have liminal seasons in our life. In fact, marshes are good because they take all the dirty water that's there and over a long period of time it soaks through the, the dirt and the sand and it filters out all of that garbage. That's, that's where we found out that filling in marshes was not a good thing because it's nature's filter system to it. I get the getting, forget, setting yourself up to a place where you can look at something that was wrong and might not be made right in this life takes time. It's a liminal process. It happens, but sooner or later that water soaks into the ground and it re-enters the river of life clean and pure. Sometimes this process takes time, but it's an ongoing choice that you don't have, you don't have to make it, but it's conditional in order for you to make it into heaven. Oh, that's pretty harsh, Pastor Paul. How could you say that? I didn't say it. Jesus did. For if you forgive other people when they sin against you, your heavenly Father will forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their sins, your Father will not forgive your sins. We could drop a microphone in the middle of this room and you would just be shocked of the hurt, the loss, the injustice, the pain that's been done. But what we won't do is drop a microphone in this room and pretend that not moving towards forgiveness is okay, because it's not. Some of us are just like that person. We can say all the right Christian phrases, but the second that they offend us, we're choking them like somebody that owes us $100, like a man who's just been forgiven a lifetime sentence, saying, give it back to me, give me justice. And Jesus says, forgive, forgive. Forgive us our sins as we forgive those who sin against us. I want you to watch something real quick. And what we're going to do, because we want to be in keeping with copyright rules and laws. We're going to show you a video clip here. You can pause that. It's playing, so if you could pause that. Um, I showed this, I think, once about five years ago, but I want you to, I feel like I'm one degree separated from greatness. One of the Bible college presidents of the school that I worked at in the latter years of her life, he was close with Corey Tamboon. Corey Tamboon, for those of you who don't know, uh, they were a Christian family in Amsterdam, and when the Holocaust took place, they brought in Jewish people into a place they called the hiding place, and they would release them to safety as that bridge. The problem is, is that they were, they were found out, and they were arrested, and the family was thrown in prison. And uh, they were thrown in Auschwitz, actually, the concentration camp. In that concentration camp, she lost her father, and she lost her sister. And in an error, a clerical error, Nazi Germany accidentally typed in the serial number that she had on her arm and accidentally released her. They were supposed to release another person. Instead, they accidentally released Corey. 
And as she walked out, she made a promise to God. She said, God, for the rest of my life, wherever I am, wherever I go, I will tell the world about what you did for me. They killed her sister in front of her. Her father she never saw again. She said she had moments where anger rose up in her and she wanted to beat to death the guard who took her sister's life. Listen, it is, the struggle is real to forgive, but I want you to hear in her own words an incident she had when she came face to face with one of the people who were over a concentration camp and she, this happened years later in, I believe it was Argentina. It's one thing if I talk about forgiveness, it's another thing if someone like her does. And some of us here today, we need to get this right in our life. The truth is, we're not right vertically if we're holding on to bitterness and pettiness and unforgiveness horizontally. We're not. It doesn't matter how much you know about the Bible, how smooth you talk, how much you do, all of those things are great and they're all a part of it, but what, what, it, what good is it if you have prayers and people that you refuse to pray for? You have generosity and people who you have thrown in prison for the debt that they've owed. Oh, and it doesn't have bars, but my goodness, it's an un unescapable prison. And there are people in my life at different times who I've had in that place. And I'll never forget one of the, <laughs> there are multiple, this, this thing of, of, of forgiveness, as a, it's, it's a spiritual discipline because it's something you have to choose to do, you have to work at to do, you get, you get better at it as time goes by. In fact, when you begin, it's, it's really kind of sloppy, it's really not perfect, and what God's not looking for in our life is perfection, he's looking for direction to say, God, the day of me being petty and unforgiving is over. I turn my back on that, and I'm going to start walking towards you to forgive others. Just like Pastor Dylan said, for God so loved the world that he gave his only son. God loved me so much. No, God loved me in this way, and in the way that God loved us in dying for us is the way that we need to give love to others through forgiveness. I need to forgive you in this way. There are some people in this church who have incredible joy, but they have incredible sins that have been forgiven. And it's almost like they're living bitterness-free. You know why? Because they have this spiritual discipline down. They're not, you can't offend them. They don't seem to take anything you say the wrong way. You could let them down and they seem to lift you up. It's incredible. But this takes work. It takes a choice. You see, in this whole idea of the economy of justice and the depreciation of the payment and the prison of unforgiveness, what you need to do is exactly what that master did. And you need to clear the book. You don't reduce the sentence. You don't let the person pay down installment plans, nor do you give 
a reduced price or cut it in half, you completely absolve it. I wonder if you could stand, whether you're at home or here in this building, or stand in your heart before God. As I was preparing this, I, I believe in all my heart, some of you, that it's not that you've been holding on to bitterness or unforgiveness, it's just that this path, this discipline is is either been lost or it just hasn't been explained to you, but you don't sense God's love. You don't sense God's presence. There was a time maybe where you came to church or maybe you've come to church your whole life and you've never sensed it and you've wondered, what's that thing that's like standing between me and the presence of God? And the whole time you didn't even realize it's this. It's the forgiveness gap that God has forgiven you and you felt that, but he's saying now it's time for you to forgive others. And this is real and it takes time here's what I'd like you to do. As the worship team plays, I'd like for you to take a moment. We're just going to take time here in the presence of God. I believe that you need to make a move sometimes physically in order for something spiritually to happen. But if you're like me, you're one of those people that says, I need to get, I need to get free from my unforgiveness and my bitterness. I want you to make your way up here to this front. We call this the altar because it's a place of sacrifice. It's not a place necessarily where you just simply go and get. It's a place where you give. You give God your struggle. You give God your shortcoming. You give God your sin. And you lay that down at his feet. And in return, you get his grace. You get his presence. But as I was praying for this, there's some of you, it's like, that's a real proud, you, you've got some good pride about you, but you've been too proud with this one. And God says, you, you want to be exalted, you want to be freed, you're going to need to humble yourself. And maybe if the only thing that stands between you and humbling yourself before God is walking up to the front, who cares? Why do I have to do it there? You know what? The very fact that you asked that question is exactly the reason why you need to come up here. And that doesn't mean that those of you that stay there, that uh, you're not right with God. But I believe there are some of you that this is a journey for you that you need to take and make. As they pray, they're going to lead us in a song, and I'm going to come back, and I'm going to lead us in a step. And this is what God promised me. Some of you, his presence is going to be restored to you. Heaven is going to be open wide to you again. That the Lord is going to begin to speak to you clearly again. That he is going to pour within you the ability to continue to forgive as you open up your life to this discipline. So Father, right now in the name of Jesus, as people make their way to the front, even, even as I'm praying here, Lord, Lord, we pray for a divine moment here, not only with this song, but with the step we're going to take once we've taken the steps forward. In Jesus' name. Altar's open and I'll be back. i
a 25-year plan to eventually get my wife on the platform. So here she is. She comes up to me every once in a while and says, I really feel like the Lord, and I, I can't say something for somebody. Sometimes God's, God's speaking through somebody, and they can do it best. And, and when she shared with me what she did, I just said, you've got to, you've, I, I can't take the story for you. You've got to share it. And she said, I'll share it, just not up there. So that's next time. But let me hand the mic to her. I want you to hear this for those of you this is, this is gold. I'm not somebody who's ever really struggled with unforgiveness as a child or an adult, but I had one moment in my life, and thank God I lived a trauma-free life, but I was in a long-term relationship with someone, and his mother told me that I was the worst thing that ever happened to his family. And at that moment, I just said, I'm so sorry. I love you like a mother. I'll change my ways. Um, our relationship ended shortly after that, which was a very good thing. But those words that she said to me hung on to me. And I brought him to the altar every week. I cried and cried, God, help me to let this go. But every traffic light, those words would come back to me. Every time I got disappointed at work, it was like Spider-Man with all that black stuff that got on him and it got heavier and heavier. And 
It became a stronghold in my life and I did not know how to forgive because everything in my heart, I prayed and prayed and the way that God set me free was through serving her. I, I saw her, I was a waitress, she came to me, I thought about spilling coffee accidentally, like I had all those evil thoughts and then when I went and broke through and I had a conversation, I was completely set free and I could have hugged her at that moment. And so just my point is that sometimes serving that person that hurt us so much is what frees us, if possible. <laughs> I know that everyone here doesn't represent everything here that God's working with, but hold steady for a second. You're all spilling out of here. Where are you going? Hold steady for a second. If you started heading back to your seat, that's fine, that's fine. There's only one thing that you can do, and that's cancel out the debt. You just gotta cancel it. You can't just reduce it, you can't. Here's the thing is, is you've gotta choose to do this and let your feelings catch up with you later, because you're not gonna feel it. And it's amazing. How many of you can relate to that story my wife said every time? It's their face when somebody cuts you off in traffic. When you put the key of forgiveness in the door and you turn it and you let that person out, all of a sudden you realize actually it was you that was in the jail all along. And so if you would pray this prayer with me online in your seats up front here, I want to lead us in a prayer as we continue to develop the spiritual discipline of forgiveness. It takes time. We don't get it perfect, but what we're going to do is we're going to cancel debts here this morning. Pray this prayer with me. Dear Jesus, as you have forgiven me, I forgive others. I forgive this person. I forgive that family. I choose to forgive them. I look beyond justice to your mercy. Give me that forgiveness. I'm not strong enough. I don't have what it takes. But through you, through your love, I can love them. I release them. I cancel the debt. I give them forgiveness. I choose to forgive and I'll let my feelings catch up later. And if I struggle, if I remember bitterness, I will choose forgiveness again. Help me to forgive and love as you have loved me. Now, Father, you've heard the people that are here that have prayed and laid this before you. Now, Lord, I ask in their personal lives that you would lift the chains of unforgiveness and bitterness and you would pour out your Holy Spirit into their life, that there would be a new freedom within them, that they wouldn't be caught in the petty and the pathetic and they wouldn't be caught in the method versus the message. They wouldn't be trapped in the offense and the debt, but they would be free because those who the sun sets free is free indeed, Lord. Their sin is forgiven, their bitterness is released, and Lord, the freedom that comes through the love and grace of Jesus to us now
now can flow through them to others. Lord, I pray an anointing on their life, an anointing to teach others how to forgive in this way. And Lord, we just thank you for what you've done in our life. Lord, bring new wine into our life. Draw out great things, we pray in Jesus' name. Can we just thank the Lord for what he's doing here this morning? Thank you, Jesus. There's enough love in Jesus to hurt, to cover any hurt that you ever had. There's enough love in Jesus to give you the power to do whatever you need to do that is contrary to it. You're welcome to sing. You're welcome to slip out. You're welcome to sit, whatever it is you want to do. God bless you, and we just say thank you. It's an honor for us to be your pastors. God bless you, and have a great new year. See you here next week. Thank you for being with us today. Be sure to listen to all our messages on YouTube, Apple Podcasts, and Spotify. And follow us on ne-cc.org for all information and updates. Thank you. God bless. Have a great day.